been an awesome four weeks, hasn't it, talking about um, walking in their shoes. But I realised, you know, that we've talked a lot about shoes and not a lot about the things that go in them, and, um, which is feet. And, and I'm all right with feet, actually. I don't know how you are with feet. Um, you know, I could whip my shoes and socks off right now, no problem, it wouldn't bother me. But some of you may feel a bit, oh, you know, that's the part of my body where, you know, I really don't want anybody to see those. Um, and, uh, and I love a, a, a good foot rub. I don't get one very often. Um, and he's not here now, so I can talk about him as much as I want to. Um, and when I do, it's about three seconds long, because um, his thumbs ache. Really? It's, uh, it's amazing, that, isn't it? But when I have to do... No, I'm going too far now. It's, uh, <laughs> but, um, but so this week, we're not slipping our feet into somebody else's shoes. We're going barefoot. And we're going barefoot with a woman who um, maybe ended up wearing nothing but a hastily picked up bed sheet and um, and we're going to see what it must have felt like to to walk her journey this morning and and I don't know where your belief system is about Jesus this morning or, or where you would put yourself but you know you may believe that Jesus is heartless or that God is someone with this big stick you know that's beating us and judging everything and everyone and punishing us all for all this stuff or even worse ignoring what's going on in, in your world and um but this story, this morning, blows all of that out the water for me. That belief and perception. Because you're going to meet a man whose name is Jesus, who is full of so much compassion and full of so much care, who encounters this barefoot woman who is terrified early one morning. And the sensitive way and the all-encompassing, compassionate way that Jesus handles this potentially explosive situation It's just downright beautiful. There's no other word for it. It's absolutely beautiful. And so we're going to read this story. It's found in the Gospel of John. The words are going to come up on the screen for you. In fact, they're already there, Laurie. It's beautiful. Um, So we're going to start reading at John chapter 8. And it says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And some commentators say now there probably could have been about a 1,000 people in that verse. A thousand people. It was a festival time. There were thousands and thousands of people there. There could have been at least a thousand people there waiting for Jesus to speak and interested in what he'd had to say. There was something that drew them in more than a lie in that morning. And I don't know about you, but something has to make me get out of bed that's worth getting out of bed for. And I'm hoping that's why you're all here this morning, that there's something that's dragged you out and and, and drawn you here this morning. But suddenly this scene is broken into by this angry mob of people and this barefoot woman. And John goes on to say, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Let me put this in another setting for you. Um, So we've come to church this morning and we're singing like we were about five minutes ago and I was yelling like I was five minutes ago and all of a sudden the doors at the back slam wide open and men come running down to the front, dragging this woman, and they throw her right at the foot of, right at the, foot of, the, of, the, of the stage here, right at my feet, and um, she's nearly naked. She's right there. That goes beyond something that I would have predicted to be the top three things that would happen this morning. And what would you do? And what would I do? And now as charismatic as Jesus was and as popular and engaging as he was as a teacher, the religious leaders of his day had been trying to get rid of him for ages, for ages. And they wanted to destroy his credibility. And they would have known that he taught on these steps. And they knew a crowd would be there. So everything was in place. 
They had witnesses, as you would have been this morning if it had happened right here, right now. It was a complete setup. It was a complete trap. Now, just put yourself in this woman's shoes. How frightened she would have been. How terrified. All these people condemning her. And John goes on to say, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. So why was it a trap? Well, no, they said that this woman was caught in the act. And somehow these legalistic people, these Pharisees, had caught a couple in the act, a married man, as it was called adultery, who notice he's in no way held accountable. Where's the guy? And they take this woman, who is guilty, yes, and they drag her out and they present her to Jesus. Now just take a minute to let that sink in. I doubt whether they gave her time to dress herself. She may have been completely naked for all we know. Everything laid bare in front of men. In front of men. This, without a shadow of a doubt, would have been the most darkest, shame-filled, humiliating moment of her life. And they say to Jesus, should we stone her? Now, what they were actually asking him was true. Under the law of Moses, she should have been stoned. But if Jesus had said no, then he would say it's okay to break the law. But if he said yes, then he wouldn't be the loving person. He was saying he was. So how did Jesus know it was a setup? Well, Jewish law that they were so keen on reminding Jesus of, Jewish law required that you bring both the man and the woman. It takes two to tango, doesn't it? The last time I checked. So where was the man? He could have been a Roman soldier because they weren't actually under the Jewish law at all. So maybe he'd have got off that way. Or maybe they paid someone and said, will you jump into bed with that woman? However it played out, Jesus had been set up by these people. How else do you catch somebody in the act of adultery? They needed to know who she was, where she would be, what time it was going to be. She was used by them to trap Jesus as if she hadn't been used enough already. I want you to feel her story this morning. I'm unashamedly laboring this. I want you to feel her story. They dragged her half naked or even naked through the streets. And in front of a watching crowd, they literally threw her to the ground like a piece of common trash. Like a piece of common trash. She had no exit. Deny the accusation, but she was guilty. She'd been caught. Plead for mercy from whom? Who was she going to ask some mercy from? From God? In her eyes, his representatives were the ones squeezing the stones and pointing the fingers. No one would speak for her. There she was crying. Her feet were probably muddy and bare. Her arms maybe clutched around her chest, trying to cover at least some element of modesty for herself that she would have left. Her heart would be pounding in her chest, knowing the law herself and knowing that within minutes she could be dead. She could be dead. Here lay a broken woman, a shattered woman, probably feeling the weight of her own guilt as well as the weight from the crowd that was accusing her. Let's hear from her.
They are right. They caught me. Did they plan this to trap me? Well, cause you see, I'm a woman caught in adultery, pulled in by these men who hold stones ready to pelt me. Did they not give me a chance to change out of my rags of shame? Pull me in, made me stand before this man. People claim to be the son of God, the son of the king. What else can I say? Have mercy? Have mercy on this woman who sneaks out in the night doing things she shouldn't be? Trying to find satisfaction but being left with only fraction, causing her to repeat the same action over and over again? Insanity. That's what I'm known for. They don't see me as me, but only the things I do that are not holy. And that's how they found me, dragging me out for all to see. The person I became, naked, dirty, shamed, yelling for all to hear. This woman deserves the death penalty. So what excuse can I make? With their hearts hard like the stones they grip in their hands, I can't believe this. This was really a part of their plan. They don't call me me, but only a woman caught in adultery. And I've known all along, God, they are right to do this to me. They are right. That's what she's thinking. And she noticed something, a name isn't even mentioned. She's just a woman caught in adultery. But you know what? She actually had a name. She has a story. Maybe she was abused as a child. Maybe she was sold into prostitution. Maybe she was just trying to work her way to a better life. Maybe life circumstances had driven her into this kind of situation. Do you know what? I want to apologize to that lady for how I viewed her and how I've seen her. Because what we read in this story is not her sole identity. And yet I treat it like it is. And to Jesus, she's more than just a woman caught in adultery. She's a woman like me, made in the image of God like me, but just needing some saving. She's a woman like me who Jesus will go on to die for. And some of you here know what it's like to be labeled, don't you? It's just one thing. Maybe you're the crazy person. Maybe the divorcee. Maybe the angry one. And people around you can stand on their pedestals, can't they, with their judgment and their condemnation. But Jesus wants to say to you this morning, you are a person made in the image of God who needs saving, who I love and I died for. You are more than just one chapter of your story. You are more than just one chapter of your story. And this next part of the story is one of the reasons why I follow Jesus, why I'm a Christian, because no one would speak for her, but someone would stoop for her. And John goes on to say, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Why did he stoop down? 
I think we've got a couple of reasons why I think he did this. One, because that's where she was. Everybody else would have been towering over her with their accusing fingers and their shouting and their mumbling and their accusatory glances. But Jesus got down to her level in the dirt. They were looking down on the woman. And you notice see Jesus, they'd have to look even further. And this is what Jesus does all the time. From the very moment of his birth, didn't he? He stooped down to lie in a manger. He, he slept in dirty fishing boats. He stooped down to, to talk with and hang out with the lepers and the thieves and the crooks and the tax collectors. And he stooped down low enough to be spat on and slapped and whipped and nailed to a cross and die. He stooped down low enough to put himself on a level with me. With me. And you may be here this morning thinking that God is somehow mad at you and he's tearing over you with his accusatory finger and his glances and his judgmental heart, just like those men were with that woman, with a huge sense of disappointment. Have you ever felt that? And I want to tell you this morning that just the opposite is true. I believe in a God. No, I follow a God that stoops down. That stoops down. Don't ever, ever think that God is shocked at the mess you might find yourself in right now. Don't ever think that God is shocked at that. He stoops down into our mess. And if you just lift up your head this morning, you will see he's right there. So Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger to be where she was, but also for another reason. And Abby's going to come and help me this morning to take away the attention from her nakedness. What do I mean? Well, here's the woman. And she would have been there, thrust onto the floor, people shouting at her, glaring at her, accusing her, pointing at her, mumbling about her. And Jesus sees all that. He feels her shame. He feels her pain. And so Jesus walks away and he drops on the floor and he starts to write. And now all of a sudden you're looking at me because I'm writing in the floor and you're interested in what I'm saying. And what has Jesus done? He's took your attention away from her and he's put it all on him. He's given her a moment of a blanket. He's given her a moment of covering. And that is what Jesus does for our lives all the time. All the time. You're no longer looking at the woman. You're looking at the one who can save the woman. So what did he write? Have you ever wondered? I've wondered this loads of time. I've read loads of people's um, thoughts on this. And, and there are two words that um, are translated as to write down in the English language. One is graphene and the other is catagraphene. I'm no Greek scholar at all, but I know that graphene means to write down. And catagraphene is used in this passage and it means to write down a record Against. So was Jesus writing in the ground a record of the things that those men had done? Thief, drunkard, adulterer even. Or maybe he was writing down her emotions, how she was feeling. Ashamed, unloved, guilty. But still they kept on and John goes on to say, they kept demanding an answer so he stood up again. And he stood, you know, not to preach, not to teach, not to talk to his followers and have a conversation with them. He didn't speak to anybody else. I'll tell you why he stood. He stood on behalf of that woman. He stood on behalf of that barefoot woman and he placed himself between her and the crowd and he said, all right then, 
But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. He went back to where that woman was. And I'd love to think that this time, do you know he wrote forgiven? 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 Because actually she was the closest person to him to see what he was doing. And the mob dropped their stones and walked away. Do you know they came as one, but they left one by one. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. They were both on their knees in the dirt. I love that picture. Both on their knees in the dirt. But Jesus wasn't finished because he stands a final time. And John goes on to stay. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. What a question. Not just for her, but for us. Where are your accusers? You know, voices of condemnation can speak to us too all the time, can't they? You know, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You'll never improve. You failed again. And the voices in our heads sometimes can feel like they're never going to be silent. But let me tell you, they don't have the last word. They do not have the last word. They will never have the last word because Jesus has acted and stood on your behalf. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is what he was saying to her. My child, not a single rock will hit you because the rocks meant for you will be thrown at me and I will take all your shame and I will take all your names and call them mine. I will be despised and downtrodden. I will be bruised for your adultery, crushed for your unfaithfulness and your death penalty will fall upon me and all those accusations you hear will scream my name. Every finger and eye will be fixed on my body, nailed to a tree, so that your innocence is permanent. Your sins carried away, never to return. Those voices turn to silence, and your weeping turn into dancing. Daughter, who can condemn you? Who can bring a charge against the one whom God justifies? What claim could possibly reach the one who approaches the throne of grace? So go and live the life I've given you. Do not think I've given you new rules, but that I died to free you into a life beyond measure. You are not just freed from guilt, but into unending joy, not just saved from condemnation, but into adoption. Child, do you hear me? I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Can you simply believe it? Your life doesn't have to be like this. That's what he was saying. You don't need to find your worth in this way. You don't need to find love in all of the wrong places. You know, you are so priceless. And so valuable that the God of the universe stooped down into the dirt just to be where you are. Can you imagine how she felt as she walked away that morning? She'd come barefoot. 
She'd come captured, dirty, accused, and then she met Jesus that morning. And she finds herself leaving, still barefoot, but clean, free, not guilty. And do you know why this is so important to invite people to? Because this changes everything. This changes everything. And I don't know whether you've met this Jesus this morning or whether you have and you haven't seen this side of his character or, um, or, for, or maybe you've even forgotten what it feels like to be in his presence in this way. But I want to say I'm really sorry if you've in any way felt or picked up the, the idea that, that God is your accuser. He just isn't. He just isn't. I want to say to you he's the kind of God that meets you in the dirt. And how do I know that? How do I know that? Because he meets me there more regularly than I would like to admit to you. You see, who is this woman? This woman's me. Not caught in an act of adultery, but I've done wrong things. I've even been caught doing a few of them. And sin under that law, I am guilty. But then there is this beautiful moment of grace. And Jesus could have put that woman to death, but he didn't. He chose to forgive her and took her place on a cross to die for the wrong things she'd done. He forgave her sin. And where I tend to deny it, my sin, or diminish it, or even blame others for the things that I do, Jesus just simply forgives it. He forgives it. And then tells me there's another way to live, Jane. Just go and don't do that anymore. And I want you to close your eyes with me this morning, if you would. Because I want you to imagine a scene. And I want you to imagine that you're kneeling in the dust, in the dirt of a road. And there's somebody kneeling right next to you. And he just happens to be Jesus. And Jesus can look and be dressed in any way that you want him to be. And he's kneeling right next to you. And he starts to write in the dust of the road. What would he write for you? What would he write for you? Maybe some things like this. I've wiped the slate of all your wrongdoings clean. There's nothing left of your sins. Come back to me. Maybe he's removed your sin as far from us as the east is from the west. And Louis Giglio says, when the enemy comes with shame and blame, tell him to measure the distance between the east and the west and then get back to you. Or maybe it's this, there is no condemnation for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. What would he write for you? And do you know what I think if we pick this lady up and we place her at another scene at the base of a cross that we're going to celebrate in the next couple of weeks? Do you know what she would say? I know him. I know him. That's him. I recognize those hands. Those hands were the only ones that didn't hold a rock that day. Do you know I know him? I know him. I recognize that voice because he's still saying the same things that he said that day, Father, forgive them. Do you know I know him? I know him. I recognize him because I know those eyes. 
Those eyes saw me not as I was, but saw me as I was intended to be. And you know that courtyard where they had that encounter, that beautiful, beautiful encounter, would again be empty because Jesus and that woman would eventually walk away. But if you look closer, you'll see all the rocks are still there. They're all still gathered on the ground, abandoned and unused. And maybe the writing in the stand would have stayed there too. And do you know what I'd love to have been written there? Grace happens here. Grace happens here. And I think this phrase, you know, is written over all three of our life central locations. Grace happens here. And there are many people in this room who would agree with me this morning that would echo those words. I recognize him too. He met me barefoot. He met me in the dust. And he saw me as I was intended to be. And I would dare to ask you this morning, have you had that moment of eye-to-eye contact with Jesus? Have you ever had that experience with him? Would you like to? You can. Because grace happens here, right now, on the 7th of April, 2019, in Hells Owen. Grace happens here. Let grace change you. I'd love to think, you know, in the years that followed, that after that encounter, that maybe at odd moments during her life she'd have thought back, you know, and remembered. Maybe when she was tucking her children into bed. Or maybe when she was waving her husband off to work. Or maybe when she was having some reflective time, she would remember that barefoot encounter. And she would sit and she would ponder and she'd think about a marriage that she never would have had. And a family she never would have had. And a life that she never would have had. Were it not for this man, Jesus, who stood for her when others wanted to stone her, who stooped to pick her up and send her into her life, forgiven, this could have been the lady's response. No one can condemn me. Their accusations left me broken and beaten, but your love shields me and your wounds heal me. Once I was your enemy and your law would not forgive me and they sang their verdict like verses over me, but they forgot the refrain that I have an advocate who keeps no record of wrongs and his redeeming love will be my song will be my song maybe some of us need to remember that this morning that we have an advocate we have a savior we have somebody who stands for us and if you don't know what it is to have that beautiful relationship with Jesus I want to give you an opportunity this morning and just while you close your eyes just for a few seconds Who wouldn't want to meet this man? Jane, if he is who you say he is, who wouldn't want to meet this man? And all I'm going to ask you to do you just put your hand in the air while everybody's eyes shut, nobody's looking at you, nobody's staring at you. Just All you're saying that to me is, Jane, I'm going to know more about this man that you talk about. I just want to know more. 
I want to start a journey today that takes me into a life that is full of adventure and full of excitement and yet it's not going to be pain free and struggle free but you know what I'm no longer doing this on my own and if that's you this morning if you just raise your hand and I'll acknowledge that I would love to pray for you is there anybody here this morning that would like to do that going to take communion this morning and if you're not sure what this is this is just a meal that we have that remembers and celebrates what Jesus does still does for us and it's a time for us to remember this morning when we're on our knees in the dirt and the dust and you know maybe you find yourself there again this morning and you're just kneeling down and you're just thinking, what is going on with my life? What is going on with my life? I don't understand it. It's chaotic. It's painful. I don't understand what is going on in my world. But do you know what? Lift up your head because right next to you is a man who stoops down to take me by the hand and lift me up and go, Jane, I am. And whatever you need to put on the end of that sentence this morning as you come out to take communion, you know, I am strong enough. I am secure enough. I am big enough to carry the weight of your world. And this is the God that I'm talking about. The Son Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in everything he might have supremacy. That is who he is. That is our God. That is Jesus. And you know what? He could have stayed there. But he didn't. Because this is also who he is. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He stooped. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, yes, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord.
let's stand together. And you come out to take communion when you're ready, but come knowing that there's a God who has stooped for you, not to leave you in the dirt and the dust of the road, but to lift you and walk you into a life encompassed by love and compassion. So will I.